for you and for me. My name is Craig Thompson. I am the other pastor here, and it is our absolute and distinct, distinct privilege to have you here with us this morning. Uh, we uh, uh, a little down by the weather, but I'll just be honest, Steve, as down as we are, we might have more than I expected. So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I know we have some guests here with us from other churches. Thank you for being with us this morning. If, um, if we can do anything for you, please let us know. But uh, it is a privilege to have gathered here with you this morning to worship the Lord Jesus. We have a tent in the balcony. I'm not sure if that means we're having a tent revival, but this is the first time I've ever preached with a tent indoors. Uh, the steeple leaked a bit, but uh, outside of that, we have come through relatively unscathed. And I'm grateful that, uh, in all honesty, the storm missed us for the most part. We got some water, we got some wind, we got to find our emergency candles and make sure that all the flashlights worked. And some of you got a new generator, so congratulations. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 14. Um, I, 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 thank you all for that. Seriously, choir, praise team. Um, I, <laughs> what, what, a, what a blessing to be reminded of the power of that old rugged cross that made a difference for you and for me as we think this morning about what it is to be made clean in Christ what it is to be acceptable to be changed we have no hope except for the cross of Jesus Christ Mark chapter 7 beginning in verse 14 as you're turning I do want to remind you if you're a guest with us today or have been a guest with us at any time if you're considering joining with our church family we do have a a next Steps class this afternoon at 4 o'clock. and we'll be meeting in this, in this what, the conference room right over there that I'll be leading. Um, the weather is actually supposed to continue to improve throughout the day, so we'll plan on doing that. And equipping studies will be at our regular time this evening at 6 o'clock. Can't nobody rain us out. We're going to stick with this thing. Because, listen, a lot of you are like my wife who kept looking at me yesterday going, please tell me we are not canceling service. She would look at those children, and she'd look at me and go, we're not canceling service. That's right, honey, we're not canceling. Y'all want to know why we're having service? I have four kids. That's the reason we're having service. <laughs> why didn't we cancel? I have four children. That is why. And I got some, we got an amen over there. That's right. All right, stand with me in honor of God's word. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of God. Pay close attention. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'd make us clean. Father God, may we avoid the defilements of the world, and instead find the holiness of the Word. I pray that the power of the Word, as it is transmitted to us, Lord God, through the proclamation of the Word, and as it is applied to us, Father God, the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray this Word would change our hearts, change our lives, Father God, and as it changes our hearts and our lives, that it would even change our community. 
Or, Lord God, it is through your people that you are putting your hands and feet to work around us. May we be changed. May we be transformed. And, Lord God, even as I pray for the power of this message this morning, we pray also for those affected by this this hurricane. God, my heart just goes out. Lord, as we can gather in, in, in relative comfort here, thousands upon thousands in North Carolina right now are inundated by floodwaters. Father, the rain keeps falling. I pray that you'd stop the rain, Lord God. Father God, we pray that you'd slow the rivers. Father, for so many of them, Lord God, the, the, the terror of the day it will only be eclipsed by the terror of tomorrow. Father, I pray you bring safety to our first responders. Thank you, Lord God, for their willingness to serve. Father, for those who will be going in as second level, Lord God, disaster relief volunteers, Lord, the power company, so many others. Father, I pray you'd give them safety. Lord God, I'm thankful that in the midst of this, we serve the only one capable of harnessing the power of a hurricane. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And amen. Listen, some of you um, would have an interest in finding out how you might be a part of disaster relief. Many of you are aware, most of you hopefully, uh, one thing that Southern Baptists do better than anybody else, um, I'll just say it that way because it's true, is disaster relief. Southern Baptists do disaster relief better than anybody. Um, our local association has a disaster relief ministry. Um, if that's something that you would like to be a part of, um, I've checked and, and they could use some volunteers. As soon as service is over this morning, you can meet with Pastor Adam who handles all of our mission stuff and he'll get your name and connect you with people um, if you've got any interest in that. By giving your name, you're not committing to anything. By giving your name, you're just saying you'd have an interest and they will make you aware of the opportunities that exist and you can decide whether or not you might be interested in going to run a chainsaw or run a shovel and uh, help these people dig out from uh, all the terrible things that are going on. All right, again, thank you for being here this morning. Um, it's imperative that we gather with the Lord Jesus in difficult days. Uh, we, we talk a great deal about prosperity preaching and prosperity gospel. We don't really need a gospel for prosperity. We need a gospel that meets us in our adversity. We need a Savior who walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. When the waters encroach around us, we need to know that though they may come and seem to sweep us away, as, as Isaiah 43 says, that they will not prevail over us. We need to know the God who keeps us from that. We need to know the God that Job discovered. The God that revealed himself to Job who said, Who told the waters how far they can come? I may not know, and I do not know, why it is that the Lord has allowed all of these things to take place. But I do know this. He is the only one who knows exactly how much rain will fall and where the floods will stop. And in him we place our trust. This morning I want us to wrestle with the question of what does it look like to be clean? Can I be clean? Can you be clean? Yesterday, since we were inside, um, we, we did, a, I say we, when I say we, I don't really mean we, I really mean Angela, I just want to be honest with you. There was some spring cleaning that took place in our house. I washed some dishes but uh, organized some things, and, and everybody was cooped up in there, so I kept hauling bags of trash out, and things kept getting changed and moved and rearranged. And sometimes we look at our house, and, and all of you do. We, we sometimes look, and you step back, and you see the pile of dishes in the sink that have piled up, or, or, or you walk into a little boy's bedroom, and if you've never done that, you just really have no idea. 
And you, go, and you really go, is it possible that this could be this dirty, first of all? The second thing you say, can this actually be clean? This morning we walked in and, and um, we already knew what we were coming into because I'd been up yesterday, but the, the steeple leaked. And so we've got some water damage up there um, in, in, in the, the balcony area. And thank God we, we covered all the sound equipment. So everything's safe except for the structural, the, the sheetrock and things of that nature. But it was a mess up there. Can, can we get this cleaned up in time for worship? When we were under construction in here, we had one of these windy rainstorms. And we got, a, me and Brian Garbade met up here. And the rain and the water just flooded into this building. We tried our best to get, get, put the tarps down and, and to make everything work, but it was a mess. The, the wind had pulled the tarps loose from what had been done, and we tried to resecure them. But by the time the next day rolled around, the question was can we actually get the water out of this building? Right about here, right, right about where y'all are sitting, the water just pooled up at the bottom and just bucked the floors all up. Folks, there are thousands upon thousands of people. In North Carolina right now, some in South Carolina who are not only experiencing significant flooding today, but who are waiting with bated breath for the inundation of floodwaters that will come as the rivers rise. If we can trust meteorologists, and some of us living in the Midlands aren't sure we can today. <laughs> Just a little joke. But if we can trust what they're telling us, these rivers may crest at record heights. Some of them may be four feet higher than in Hurricane Matthew just a couple of years ago. Heartbreaking to consider that for some of those people, they've only just recently made it back into their homes and they're going to be flooded out all over again. Many of them will walk into their houses today or perhaps next weekend as the floodwaters begin to subside. They'll see four, five, six, maybe seven or eight feet of water that has inundated their home. And they'll begin to ask the question, can this actually be cleaned up? Can this be fixed? Can anything be done? Incredibly, for many of those homes, the reality will be yes. For many of those homes, they'll go in and they'll scoop all the mud out. They'll wash everything away. They'll cut out all the sheetrock and they'll start over. Some of those houses will have to be bulldozed and they'll have to start from scratch. Some people will never rebuild. But some of, your, some of you came in here today not worried about the floodwaters that have overwhelmed, but asking the question of your own life, legitimately, can I be made clean? Pastor, I'm not talking about my house. I vacuumed before I left. I want to know, is it possible that I can be made clean? Can I become a vessel usable in your service? Now, on first reading of this passage of Scripture this morning, you might not pick up on that as being an important part. I didn't. But God's so awesome and His Word's so amazing that there are times in my sermon preparation where as I'm working through, all of a sudden, the sermon just kind of jumps off the page. That doesn't happen every week. I wish it did. There are weeks when I labor and I labor and I labor. 
and Thursday rolls around, and Diana wants to print my, 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 uh, my study guide, and I still haven't gotten to a place where I feel comfortable putting anything down on paper, and she doesn't call me on the phone or come visit me in my office. She's just sending text messages with, like, question marks, right? I'm used to it. Every secretary we've ever had, Ginger was not quite as nice, and uh, Chelsea was with us for a long time, and Chelsea would just literally throw things at me. Um, some days, some weeks I just labor and I labor and I labor, but there are other times when as I'm working through God's Word, all of a sudden it just jumps off the page. It's amazing. This week on Tuesday as I was working through this, it jumped off the page, and I got so excited I wish I could have preached it to you then. Because we got to take all these things into context. In the context of Matthew chapter 7, we get Jesus answering the question about what defiles a person. But before we get there, we got to remember what we looked at last week. Some of you looked at it in life group again this morning, for those of you that are in our sermon-driven stuff. And you can be reminded, so this is like, if, we, if, we had, if I had been smart, last Sunday would have been like part A, and today would have been part B, or volume 2, or to be continued, or whatever you want to say. Because what happened in the verses just prior to this, if you'll remember, is that the Pharisees came hunting for Jesus. And they came with a critical spirit. And they showed up, and they were waiting to figure out what in the world they could catch him in. And the only thing they had going for them is his disciples didn't wash their hands the right way before they ate. Now, we're not talking about like a four-year-old who went to the bathroom and didn't wash his hands. Okay? We're talking about not filth or disgusting. We're talking about people that didn't go through a ceremonial hand washing. Whatever it might have looked like. And the Pharisees confront Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus looks at them and says, Hey, you've created all these spectacular rules for everybody to follow. But you've neglected the most important things in all of God's word. You're following your rules really well, but have you loved the Lord and loved your neighbor? Have you done those things? Have you cared for your parents? That was the specific thing that he caught them on. Now, we generally look at the Pharisees the way that we look at political bureaucrats. If you work for the government here today, we like you a lot, really. Trust me, but we're going to talk about you anyway. So some people generally look at, 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 at politicians... Um, and, and go, well, look, look at them. Look at what they've got. Well, of course they get it right. Okay, That's the way that, some, that we tend to look at, at, at the Pharisees when we read the Scripture. Sometimes with, with, a, with a, 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 a bit of derision. Right? We see them as the enemy. And I'm not saying that your politicians are all enemies. I'm just saying in our world today, that's exactly what we have. Okay? That, that's where we are. But understand that for first century Jews, they didn't look at the Pharisees and go, look at the enemy. For first century Jews, they looked at the Pharisees and went, I can never live up to that. Some of you who don't know me well look at me this way. And, and I don't say that to be funny. I'm just saying those of you that know me better generally don't have a super high elevated opinion of me. You've seen me be far less than perfect. But for people who only know their pastor on the platform behind the pulpit, oftentimes they create a, a, a vision of what he is. And so the people gathered around. Now, you, you just stick with me. We're going to get to the good stuff, okay? I'm giving you background. The people are gathered around, and Jesus has it out with the Pharisees. 
Then we pick up in verse 14. And the Bible says he called the people to him again. Now, we've turned our attention now away from the religious leaders and we're just dealing with the regular folks right now. Because, listen, Jesus is all about regular people. And I know he's all about regular people because I'm calling them regular and not regular because apparently I can't speak plain. Y'all understand that. These are just regular folks. Jesus deals with the Pharisees, but he doesn't buddy up with them. He runs them off. He called them hypocrites. We looked at that last week. And all of these people that are standing around here and Jesus lay it to the Pharisees, they weren't cheering Jesus on going, Oh yeah, you tell them, Jesus. Here's what these people are standing around going, If they aren't good enough, what hope is there for me? You see, some of you showed up here today and said, what hope is there for me? Is it possible that I could be made clean? That I could be usable in God's service? The Bible doesn't tell us they ask this question, but Jesus essentially answers the question. Perhaps Jesus begs the question. Verse 14. He calls the people around him and he said, Hear to me, all of you that understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, we're going to talk about food laws just briefly this morning, but understand that for the people that Jesus was speaking to, they kept the Jewish food laws. Okay? They kept the dietary restrictions. Why? Because they were Jews. It was cultural. Okay? So they didn't keep bacon in their house. They didn't keep shellfish because their culture was opposed to those things. The best way, we talked about this um, one day this week, and Kevin, I think, had a very good illustration. The best way I know to, to explain that, I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm a, I'm a good Southern Baptist for my whole life, nine months before birth and all the way through. And as a good Southern Baptist, I, we don't drink. I mean, we don't, I've, I, I don't, I didn't grow up drinking, I didn't grow up in a house that drinks. And, and as a good Southern Baptist, I, I was taught it was bad and it was wrong. Now listen, as I've grown in, in the Word, I, I can't come to you and show you in this Word where it is absolutely sinful to drink alcohol. I want to be honest with you about that. I can't do that. I can show you it's sinful to be drunk. I can show you all the warnings about alcohol in this book. I can even tell you that from my perspective, that if you have to make a choice, it is far more wise to abstain from alcohol than it is to indulge in alcohol. And I can tell you that because I've seen the effects, the negative effects that alcohol can have. No one has ever walked into my office and said, Man, Craig, I tell you, here I am 60 years old, and I just wish I'd drank before because here I am at 60, and my life is so bad because I never drank. Y'all are all laughing because I know how stupid that is. But I can't tell you the number that have come into my office or caught me right down here as they've come forward to confess and to pray. They've caught me in the street. They've said, this alcohol has ruined my life. I got drunk and hit my wife. I got drunk and yelled at my kid. I got drunk and lost my job. Now, 
But I can't go to this word and show you that it is absolutely 100% sinful to drink. Jesus turned the water into wine, right? And it wasn't grape juice. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. It's not. And for, for people who want to live by their abstinence policy and call it grape juice, they're undercutting the, the authority of God's word. You understand that? We say, this word is true, except that part where it was really grape juice. We just don't know. No, it was wine. Jesus drank wine. Okay? Paul said, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. Well, Craig, here it is. It's, it's all good. You, you've been, you, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. Do you know I still don't drink? Why? Because even though I know what the Bible says, the culture within me would still make me super uncomfortable about it. Like, is that, is that, is that, does that make sense? Like, it's still a little awkward. The wisdom issues are still there, regardless of what my culture is, okay? Being drunk is always a sin, regardless of how you feel about it, because the Bible says it is. But culturally, I'm uncomfortable. Culturally, these Jews, when Jesus said, it's okay, you can get whatever you want, none of them ran out and started buying bacon. Because it was uncomfortable. What Jesus points out to them is that these, these overly religious rituals of the Pharisees did not make the Pharisees any holier. You see, culturally, all of the Jews kept the dietary restrictions for the most part. And so the Pharisees, if they were going to stand out, they had to come up with some other religious rituals so that people would know just how holy they were. They didn't have Facebook to tell people how holy they were, right? They didn't have Instagram to put their fancy picture of their quiet time. So what did they have to do? They had to do something publicly, right? So they needed to have elaborate rituals so the whole world would know. They needed to stand on the street corner and pray, Lord God, I thank you I'm not like that guy. They needed to have elaborate hand-washing rituals. they get together outside and they throw the water up and they wash all over. Why are you so wet? Man, you got water everywhere. It's running all over you. What is wrong? Well, you didn't wash your hands the right way. Are you kidding me? What is the right way? Well, you know it's two minutes with good soap and warm water and a towel. I read it on one of those signs in the bathroom one time. Listen, we're still in the introduction. We're going to get to the sermon in a minute. And so all of these people look at all of these things going on. And they're depressed. Jesus, you just said the Pharisees aren't good enough. There's no hope for me. Some of you walked in here today and you said, I'm not like my mom, I'm not like my daddy. I'm not like that pastor up there. You know what, Craig? I'm not like that deacon. No, there's no hope for me. And I'm here to tell you that there's all the hope in the world for you. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. Let's look at four things this morning. Can I be clean? Some of you walk in and you say, but look at what I've done. But look at what I've done. Listen, if they, they, a lot of these people are going, if, if hand washing keeps me out of heaven, I'm in a bad place. Do you know what I've done? Craig, do you have any idea? You stand up there every single week. Last week you called us hypocrites. Today you're telling us there's hope. Craig, I don't understand. There's no chance for me. 
You want to talk about the chance that exists? You don't know what I've done. You have no idea. You know, can I tell you that it doesn't matter? Can I? Can I tell you that the grace of God is bigger and greater than the sin of man? Can I tell you that no matter what you've done, Jesus is still enough? You can't out him. I wouldn't encourage you to try. But even if you did, you still wouldn't be able to. The grace of God is enough. You say, Craig, I, I don't think you want to. And I'm here telling you that if you come up here and you start giving me all of your sins and you lay them all out, I'm still going to tell you the same thing over and over and over again. The old rugged cross is enough for you and for me. These people walked up and they said, Jesus, I'm nasty. These Pharisees, they've got it figured out. They lead in the synagogue. They're religious leaders. And Jesus calls all the other folks to himself. Did you see what he did? Let's just imagine what this looks like. The Pharisees are standing over there. Jesus has just put them in, his, in their place. Now there's a group of them. So they all gathered up and they're huddled in their little holy huddle trying to figure out how they're going to tell him right. They got their ties on because they're at church. I wore mine. I made sure I put it on this morning so I look good for y'all. I even changed before I got up here this morning. I wore my boots and my jeans across that flooded tundra out there. But I put on good shoes for y'all before I got up here this morning. It's part of the sermon illustration, right? Because this is what a preacher's supposed to look like, isn't it? Right? The preacher's supposed to wear a tie and a jacket and good shoes. And if I'd have showed up in jeans and my boots, man, I might not have fit in. I can't be a preacher in that. It's not what God's Word says, though, is it? It's not what God's Word says at all. It's not about what I have done. It's about what Jesus has done for me. So I want to give you hope this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's still enough. The second thing this morning, some of you say, but look at who I am. You see, this is the progression that we normally have in people's life. They start off with, Craig, God couldn't love me. Look at all the things I've done. But when I, I, I sort of prick the balloon on that and the air begins to explode, they, 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 uh, 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 let me stop up that. Let me, let me stop the air from leaking out. You've not been victorious yet, Craig. You say he can forgive me for the things I've done, but it's really not about what I've done. You don't know who I am. You see, Craig, the reality is the things that I've done, they're just a symptom of the person that I am. I'm rotten to the core. Everything about me is broken and messed up. I'm not a church person, Craig. I'm not like you. You stood up there and you just told us that you were born and raised a Southern Baptist. You were born into the church. You grew up in the church. You even did youth group in the 90s, which makes you super cool with all sorts of attachment to terrible Christian music. It was awkward to be a teenager in the 90s, okay? It's really awkward because we had some really good Christian music, like DC Talk. The Dis I like that, right? And then we had some really terrible Christian music that I won't name. And then the music outside of the church was so phenomenal. Like, you come out of the 80s where the music was terrible. And y'all know it's true, even if you don't want to admit it. It was awful. And then you come into the 90s, right? And we got Nirvana, and it didn't get much better than that. And so I'm having to go, and like, there's Nirvana here, and there's DC Talk. And then you go, okay, what's the next Christian option for me? And I go, oh, there's DC Talk, and uh, uh. And then over here, it's like, oh, then Metallica came. And I went, what? And then there was Garth Brooks. And then we're still over here in the Christian music, and there's DC Talk, and that's it? How good is DC Talk? My kids like DC Talk. That's how good DC Talk is. It was conflicted to be a teenager in the 90s. 
I'm trying to love Jesus, but the music for Jesus wasn't all that good. Man, when we sang Old Rugged Cross at my home church, now my heart did go back this morning because I could still hear Ray sitting in the back and echoing those words. I could still hear him. That's, who, that's man in my choir growing up. But we didn't sing it that well. I'm just going to be honest with you. The organ didn't sound that good. There was some pitchiness. It was awful. But it was still like dear to my I mean, and I'm like I'm it was dear to my heart. It changed me. It affected me. But this morning I was like, whoa, that's the way it's supposed to be. Man, what a privilege to sing. But you're saying, Craig, I didn't grow up that way. You're talking about DC talk. I didn't know who that is. I saw the tent up there, and who grew up in the 90s? Who's got who remembers Big Tent Revival? Kevin, you remember that? Yes! Yes, anybody else? None of y'all? Thank you, a couple of you. See, that's fantastic. They crushed it, and here we are with a tent this morning. And they sang a song about the water washing away anyway. But you're going, well, Craig, that's great. You can, you can quote all this Christian music. You saw truth live and in concert. Yes, I did. You say, Craig, the whole time you were at all those Christian concerts, man, you don't even want to know where I was. Like, forget about what I've done. I'm, that's not who I am. Can I tell you it doesn't matter? Because Jesus changes you from the inside out. You say, I'm not a Jesus person. I'm here to tell you that nobody else was until he found them. And today can be the day that your whole life turns upside down. It can. It doesn't matter. You say, you don't know what I did. You don't know who I am. So once we get that one, we prick the balloon again. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you get too excited, so, so, so there's forgiveness for my sins. So there's some people who are like me that came to Jesus. But Craig, let's stop the presses here before you get too excited. But what about those people? See, once we've begun to really pull all the stops out, the next step is usually I can't be like him. I can't be like them. Now, sometimes it gets a little different. and They don't just say I can't be like them. Sometimes they say, I don't want to be like them. The church is just full of hypocrites anyway. Now, the church is full of hypocrites argument. Where does that come from? That comes from beginning with I can't be like those people to ending with it's just a bunch of bad people. Okay? Now, some of you have been burned by the church. Listen, those of you who have been hurt by the church, I just want you to know I'm sorry. I am sorry. The church should never hurt its people. And I can't fix what happened then. But can I tell you that those people don't have a whole lot of anything to do with what Jesus can do in the person sitting in the pew right now? You know that you say, Craig, I can't be like the pastor. I can't be Billy Graham. Neither am I, for the record, folks. Neither am I. You know, I'm not like, I'm not like my life group leader. They just know everything. They, they don't, trust me. I wish I could call our life group leaders. I, I, I get a huge kick out of the things that I hear sometimes from people that talk to me about their deacon or their life group leader and how amazing and godly they are. Every once in a while, I want to pull one of them up on stage. And I want to say, hey, tell me about when you started leading a life group. Tell me about when I begged you to get in there and do that, and you kept saying to me, I don't know enough to do that. Tell me about how God has used those events to shape who you are. It's great when people only know a person after they came to Jesus. Isn't that something? Because after they come to Jesus, God changes their life. And sometimes we don't know who they were before. 
I love it when people walk into our church. I get an opportunity to share the gospel. I say, but Craig, you don't understand who I am. I can't be like that guy. Man, I'm an alcoholic. And it's great when I can laugh under my breath and I can let them finish griping and moaning and complaining. I say, guess what? So was he. So was he. It was fantastic. We had a fellow struggling with uh, substance abuse one time. And he, he came to me and he said, Craig, I, there's nobody here in the church who understands what I'm going through. <laughs> I'm laughing because some of y'all are sitting in the fuse going, really? Hey, I began to name them off. I began to name them off. Why don't you go talk to so-and-so? Like, I, I respect the rules of, of, of AA, so I would never say who, that that person's involved. But I said, why don't you go talk to so-and-so? They, they might know some things that could help you out a little bit right here. Sometimes I can just go and say, hey, man, can you call this guy? He's struggling a little bit. Y'all might have something in common. Why don't you go talk to this guy? Why don't you go talk to that guy? Why don't you go talk to her or him? Craig, my marriage is falling apart. Really? Maybe I could put you in touch with this couple who struggled with that 20 years ago and God brought them through it. You point around, you say, I can't be like them. And what I'm telling you is they only got to be like they are because Jesus brought about an incredible change in their life and he can change your life too. You see, under the shadow of that old rugged cross, all the excuses of man fall away. And all the excuses of man fall away because once I've looked at me, once I've looked at what I've done and who I am, once I've looked at all the other people and compared myself to them, there's only one place left for me to look. And it's at Jesus Christ himself. Look to Jesus and live today. You say, but, 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 and I say, but look! But look at the cross. You need not look any further. The cross is enough. The promise of God in Jeremiah 24, 7 is this. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Here we have in Mark chapter 7, Jesus saying it's not about what's on the outside, but about what's on the inside. It's a heart religion. Now that doesn't mean that we get to say God came into my heart and then nothing changes. Jesus says when God comes into your heart, everything changes. Jesus says the evidence of a changed life is about the effort that proceeds from that life. It's about the actions that proceed from that life. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. He says, what is sin? Sin are those things that we do that are wrong, that are sinful. But what is holiness and righteousness? It, are the, it is the things that we do as a result of a changed heart that make us look more and more like Jesus on a regular basis. Look at some of these things that defile a man. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, inverse envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. To defile, that means to make dirty, nasty, to ruin it, spoil it. The opposite of it would be to clean it up and make it right and holy. What is it? What is it that changes a person? Jesus changes us from the inside, and then once our heart has been changed, the outside begins to change as well. Do you know what happens when you allow Christ to change your heart? You become one of those people that you thought you never could be. Sometimes, and this is fantastic, sometimes you become one of those people that you made fun of or that you hated or that you, that you just ridiculed. You can't help it. Because when God gets a hold of you, He changes you. Right? He shakes you free from all the chains that held you down. And all of a sudden, you've been set free, and you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but scream about it. It's amazing. 
And then what happens? What happens is as God changes our heart, our coveting turns from wanting what everyone else has to being the kind of person who wants to give to all those around us. We stop trying to get everything that everybody else has and we start giving things away. It's incredible to see what happens when God gets a hold of somebody's heart. When God gets a hold of somebody's heart, He changes their mouth, changes their thought process, He changes their actions, He changes their marriage, changes their family life, He changes their pocketbook. I'm going to tell you something. When God gets a hold of you, you begin to tithe. You do. People start giving to the church. Side note, if you're a guest with us this morning, you think you know where I'm going, but I'm not. If you're a guest with us this morning and you're not at your home church, make sure you tithe to your church this week. Uh, when churches lose a, a week of, of, of worship, um, their budget doesn't stop, right? So if you're a guest with us this morning, make sure you tithe to your home church. If you're not a guest with us this morning, make sure you tithe to your home church. <laughs> Why? Jesus changes us. And folks, when he changes our heart, the overflow of our heart begins to change the outward appearance of our life, but not just the appearance, the actual work. You can look at what you've done, or, or, or you can even look at those people around you who seem to have figured it out. And you can go, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. But once you look to Jesus, you say, I can't, but he can. And in him, all of God's promises find their amen. And in him, all the hopes of mankind are wrapped up. I started listening to Christmas music this week, like legitimately Christmas carols. Um, it's my Pandora Christmas station. And I'm so glad I did because I was reminded as I prepared for this sermon that at Advent we celebrate the child who was born to bring all the hope to mankind. All the things within us that are broken can be washed away when we look at Jesus. You see, you can look at all the other things, but the only one who can give you a new heart is Jesus Christ Himself. Y'all listen to me and I'm done. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. It doesn't really matter what you did yesterday or last week or 10 years ago. doesn't matter what kind of family you were born into. doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. There's hope for you. You say, Craig, you don't understand. I, I, I don't understand. I don't need to understand. But, but Jesus, He's the author and the, and the finisher of our faith. In Him, there's hope forevermore. See, He's the only one that can make us clean and righteous and holy. And you see, what Jesus did on that day as He was confronted by the Pharisees is He turned their attacks around. And He turned His back to the holy huddle. And He looked at the rabble. And He said, listen to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You say you can't be like them. Jesus said you weren't supposed to. You were supposed to be like me. You say I can't. And Jesus says that's fine. Because what I'm going to do for you is give you a brand new heart. And what you can't do on your own, I can do for you. I can change you. You see, regardless of what's come into your life that's made you feel unclean or unholy or unworthy, I'll wash all that away. 
I'll give you a new heart. And then proceeding from that heart are going to be acts of holiness and kindness and godliness. And on the cross of Calvary, he made that possible. He took our sin. He died for us. If you're here this morning and you struggle to believe that God would love you, let today be the day that you put that to rest. You trust in Jesus. You say, I'm not good enough. And I'm here to tell you, no, you're not. But that's okay. Because Jesus is big enough to take all your sin and all your shame and nail it to the cross. Would you come today? Would you come and receive what Jesus has to offer? Perhaps you just need to come and pray today. Maybe there's some of you here today who say, Craig, I, I know all the right things. But maybe you just need to pray, Lord God, remind me again that you've made me clean. You've made me usable. I can be something in your service. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would, um, it would go forth in power today. But I pray that as we look into the mirror, the mirror of our souls, the mirror of our lives, that, Father God, we wouldn't listen to the whispers of the enemy who say, you can't. Lord God, we would trust in the power of the word and the truth of this word that says God is enough. Jesus is enough. No, Lord, we can't, but you can and you have. Lord God, may we look to you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. You say, Craig, I can't do anything else. There was a thief on a cross once upon a time on a hill far away. That thief looked to Jesus. He had but one thing he could say, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're so broken, you're so messed up, you got nothing else you can do but look to Christ and say, Lord, will you? I'm here to tell you that he will. Sing with us this morning. You came for criminals and every Pharisee. You came for hypocrites, even one like me. You carried sin.